Hi, welcome to this week's Seacoast Vineyard Podcast, coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We hope this message will touch your life in a meaningful way and that you'll be encouraged in your journey with God. Let me ask you guys something. Did, did you guys grow up with urban legends? Like tales. When I was in high school, we had this, uh, we had this legend that if you drove your car out to a particular bridge uh, in the swamps and you parked on it, that if you waited long enough, this glowing greenish-orange orb of light would suddenly come out of the swamps and mystify you and go on, you know. I, I don't know how many times I went out there. I never saw any light. Um, then I, I don't think anybody did, actually. And then and later they said, no, it's not a light. You can hear a baby cry. I thought, oh, well, let's try it again. So after football games on Friday nights, a lot of us would pile into the car and we'd go out and park on this bridge and we'd wait. And sure enough, one night we hear this crying. My God, it's horrible. Somebody left their baby here a long time ago and it's still here. It's haunted, whatever. And I went home and told my dad. He goes, that's a bobcat. (laughs) I'm like, what? He says, bobcats cry. You've heard them all your life, right out here in the woods, in the swamps. That's a bobcat crying. Uh, maybe in the 60s, some of you uh, may remember the beehive hairdos. You remember the, I mean, I, I mean, they were like very stylish. I don't know how, I guess you use a form and kind of pour your hair into it. I, but, but I heard this story, this urban legend that, that this lady, she kept hers so high and so full that a spider got in there and laid eggs and built a whole web and it was a black widow spider, and this was an urban legend that eventually killed her. I mean, those kind of legends. And then we have some like Procter & Gamble. I guess this legend is still around, that the president of Procter & Gamble is a devil worshiper, and he takes money from your toothpaste, and he <laughs> gives it to the satanic church. It's all urban legend, and that their emblem had something to do with Satan. All urban legend. I actually... I have a pastor friend who I used to see in Starbucks a lot because I go in there a lot. And uh, I didn't see him for a while and I ran into him at another cafe and I said, where you been? And he says, oh, I can't go there anymore because uh, Starbucks has a satanic emblem on their cups now. And I was like, what? A satanic emblem? I thought it was just a goofy drawing of like this woman thing, whatever. And he goes, I can't support it because they support Satanism and All these urban legends. How about this one? How long are you supposed to wait after eating to go in the ocean? (laughs) What did you hear? Okay, I just heard three hours, hour, one hour. See, my mom told me two hours. And for a surfer when he was a kid, two hours was a lifetime. That's all urban legend. You'll get cramps and drown, son. Don't go out. Don't go out. You can't swim. Or, or how about this one? Put your batteries in the freezer, and it will make them last longer. Actually, it will kill your batteries. They won't last near as long as what you thought. Some of these are funny, and uh, I mean, some of them are just like hoaxes. Back when the Beatles first came out, we were all told that if you run Abbey Road or whichever one, number nine or whatever it was backward, you would hear, Paul is dead. Paul is dead. And sure enough, I ruined, I don't know how many albums. You know, I would put it on my turntable and I would put my finger and I'd hear, Paul is dead. 
You know, you can be just as sincere as you want to be or can be and still be totally misinformed. And we Christians, those of us who follow Christ, we have our own urban legends. We have our own myths that sometimes we buy into. We don't know where they come from, but we have accepted them as truth. And some of our legends and some of our myths actually set us up for disillusionment later on in life if we're not careful. And so we're beginning a new series today. Uh, I'm calling Mega Myths. And we're going to take a look for the next six or seven weeks at uh, some topics uh, like if I sin... What does it matter? God's grace will cover me. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, well, if God has a perfect will and I've missed it, am I screwed? I won't say it just like that, but it, it'll be. <laughs> what do I do with it? What do I do if, if God has a perfect will and then I've missed it? There are certain myths around some of these sayings that we may have bought into that we're going to take a look at. And there's uh, quite a few other ones I want to deal with before we get out of this. Today, we're going to deal with the most often quoted verse in the Bible. Does anybody know what it is? The mo- yeah. The most, I didn't say in the church the most well-known verse. I said the most oft quoted verse anywhere for all time. What is it? Judge not, lest ye be judged, right? You hear it from politicians. You hear it from anybody. The minute anyone with any bit of faith or they say they're a Christian or whatever makes a statement, some type of statement, you will get thrown back into your face. Well, Jesus said, don't judge. You're not to judge. So is that a myth or is that true? Matthew 7, 1 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And people will say, Jesus didn't judge anyone, and we're not. Who do you think you are to judge me? I heard it said a long time ago that whoever owns the language and the definitions owns the culture. And we have kind of been taken captive and hostage by certain definitions and, and uh, language has changed so much. And we live in such an individualistic society now. It's like, that may be your truth, but that's not my truth. And so there's like no anchor. Uh, people want to, everybody's adrift. And it seems to me that in this time where we are and politically and morally, and if we don't have something to sink the anchor into, we are really going to be in trouble. I mean, we just have nothing to trust in. So we're going to take a look at that verse today. We're going to be in Matthew 7, and we're going to see whether it's a myth that you can never judge anyone or anything, or is that the truth? So let's pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would just breathe life on it. Help me. Uh, In my weakness, with my lens of life that I look at things and I read your word through, help me, Lord, at least be able to break through some of my own lens and for you to have your say today. Uh, We want to hear you speak, Lord. So I ask for the gift of teaching. I ask that we would have ears to hear. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and do what you do best. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read a little more of Matthew 7. Let's read the first five verses here. 
Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Judge, the word judge is used in different forms, different ways. Uh, one of the ways judge, the word judge is used is to discern or to exercise your moral faculties where you can make a decision on what is right, what is wrong. Another way of judging is to think critically about something. Some of you guys were taught in school. I was taught in school to think critically, to come from all manner of sides of an issue and to discuss it, to look it, to investigate it, and to think critically. And then, of course, there's the legal aspect of judging that, uh, that, uh, that we get involved in in our laws and such. What was Jesus talking about when he said this in Matthew 7, 1? When he said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Is he saying, I want you to suspend all of your critical and moral you know, discernment? Just kick that into neutral? Is he saying, if you follow me, I want you to get rid of all of that, plus make sure that uh, you never think others are wrong or that you think you're always right? Does he want you to be this laid-back, easygoing, spineless, ultra-tolerant people. Is that what God's calling us to be as followers of Jesus? Jesus never described the church that way. He never called his people to walk that way, and he certainly didn't walk or live that way. So we're going to dig into this. Look down at uh, Matthew 7, 6, just down a little bit. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying that you need to know your audience when you begin to have opinions about things and you make judgments. You better know who you're talking to. You just don't walk up to any person and suddenly open that big orifice on your face and dump out every single thing that you believe is true on them. Do you know who they are? Do you know what they need to hear? Do you understand who they are? We need to use wisdom before we speak, before we judge. And we don't need to be foolish or naive or what happens. Sure enough, Matthew 7, 6, you may get trampled on. The people come right back at you. We're to use tact. We're to use wisdom. Matthew 7, 15 says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. That's a judgment, isn't it? There are wolves out there. So you've got a little handout in your brochure there, a little thing that I put in there every week so that you can fill it out and track along with me. If you'd like, please take that out now. You have a pen too. That way you can fill it in and, and uh, follow me through this. So let's talk first about improper judging. What does it mean to judge someone improperly? John 7, 24 says, Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Those are Jesus' words too. How fast do we draw a conclusion by someone who 
is walking down the street. He walks through the doors of the church. We immediately, don't we, draw certain conclusions. Bang, just like this. One of the areas that we have to be very careful in judging people is in the area of gray areas. Gray areas, that's your first fill-in. In the gray areas. And believe me, there's a lot of gray in this thing that we call faith. Deuteronomy 4.2. God is speaking and he says, Do not add to what I command you. And do not subtract from it. But keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. And we have to be careful about judging people in areas where God has not spoken clearly in. Uh, the religious right's not the only one guilty of this. The, the left is, the right is. We're in such an angry place right now in our country. It's uh, just a very sad place to be. And I, w- I just I want to tell you that, in all honesty, this Bible does not tell you who to vote for. I just want to tell you. It, it, you're not going to find Obama or Romney in this book. Now there are values, there are convictions that we develop that any mature follower of Christ is going to want to take into consideration and look, but we cannot take this Bible and go to anyone and say, you need to vote for... There's a lot of gray area in this. And we, we people, man... Let me tell you, I believe the Bible is infallible. It is iner- inerrant. But your opinion of it isn't. My opinion of it isn't. The book is inerrant, infallible. But I'm not. And my take on it isn't. We are limited in how we approach the Scripture. We don't know everything about the cultural situation, even in Matthew 7 that we're reading today. We don't know all about that setting that Jesus was speaking into. We know some of it, but we don't know all of it. We don't know everything about the language. We know a good bit, and we're learning more, and people are working hard to try to help us understand it more clearly, but we don't know everything about the language. We don't know everything about the audience that he was speaking to at this time. We have an idea, and we work hard at trying to place ourselves there at that time so we can understand it well, but we don't know everything about the audience. And we don't have God's eye view of this situation because God sees all of this from the beginning to the end. You see, God is going somewhere with all of this. He's going somewhere with all of it, but we don't have that full view. We're not privy to all of that. We're limited. And you know what? We're limited because of our sinfulness. Because we were broken and sin is so deep into our nature that it can taint the way we interpret things. We twist, we bend them. I'm sinful, you're sinful, and we have to deal with that when we try to understand what God is saying, especially when it comes to others. And can I tell you another thing that we need to be we really need to recognize now this church our church I love has about 98% of the people are from up north but myself there is over 200 years of scotch Irish redneck blood flowing through these veins I was raised in the south 
I was raised in the South. The three Holt brothers came from Dublin, Ireland, came through Virginia in 1678, made their way down to the South. One was a preacher. The other two were hardworking men. That was a joke. But I was raised in the 60s too. I was a teenager in the 60s and that was a tumultuous time. There were lots of change and so my lens through which I look at the world and what I read, that affects me and it affects you. Your background, the way you were raised, whether you were raised in a small community, a large one, whether you were exposed to many thoughts and critical thinking and, or whether it's very myopic and closed and individualistic, all of that for myself and for you included, has put in certain lens in front of us as we read the Bible. Now, I say all this not to say to kind of discourage everyone and so you will go, well, gosh, Tim, how in the world can we ever understand this? That's not why, because there's plenty to understand. God has given us plenty that is clear that we have to work with and that we need to work on. But the gray areas the gray areas sometimes are not as clear as you may think because our lens in life makes it appear to be a lot clearer than it is. We need to approach the Scripture very humbly and in approaching when we judge people and situations in a very humble way. I mean, here's a fact. The Bible does not mention Harry Potter. doesn't. I mean, some of us have a lens that says Harry's of the devil because and we'll think that the Bible says he's of the devil. This is a gray area that is up to you parents to decide what your children should be exposed to. It's none of my business to tell you about that. It doesn't tell you, as I said earlier, who to vote for. But there are things in here that we can read and convictions that we hope we develop and have that will help us in making our decisions. So there are plenty of gray areas. And that doesn't mean, like I said, that we don't have a lot of clarity. But if you go back through the thousands of years now that God has been speaking to mankind through his scriptures and you look at how the early church has dealt with this and our creeds, all of the creeds as we look at them are very specific. It's a very small subset of the necessary things, but very important. Very important. But there's a lot of gray area out there. And when we begin to judge one another in those gray areas, we need to grab ourselves and go, maybe that's a personal conviction. Maybe that's a lens that I'm seeing life through. Help me not to judge those gray areas and judge others. And the second place we need to be careful about improper judging, this is your next fill-in, is when judging non-Christians. Boy, the church is good at that, isn't it? Judging non-Christians. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. It is a privilege to be a part of a local church. Part of that privilege is you have brothers and sisters in your life who can speak into your life who can deal with certain issues in your life. That's a privilege for the church. When you become a part of a local church, you have invited the church body into your life to help you learn what it means to follow Jesus faithfully. 
it is a privilege to have men and women in my life who can look at me and go, Tim, you better, you know, you better, better be careful right here. If something happens in our marriage and one pulls away from the marriage, it's, very, it's just proper that a brother or a sister in Christ goes to them and says, this is not right. But if that person is not a follower of Christ, not a believer, we don't have any right to step in there and say that. We don't have that authority to do that. We like to export the privilege of speaking into one another's life into everyone's life in every situation the first step in our establishing relationships with those outside our faith is not to call them to our standards listen in all practicality we're having a tough time living it ourselves we've got the Holy Spirit living in us those of us who follow Jesus We've got the Holy Spirit in us who convicts us of sin, who is working in us to change us into the likeness of Christ, and we have a struggle a lot of times. How in the world can we expect someone not in the faith without the help of God in their life to live up to the standards we throw to them? Our first approach to folks outside of the faith, I really believe, should be through friendship and grace extended to them. We need to see Christ in us and the love of the cross a love that would lay its own life down for others, like Jesus did. I I still don't understand why we Christians are so threatened by other people's beliefs. We get nervous. We, We feel like we're about to lose something. Look, you have the King of glory living in your heart. You have the Prince of Peace who has set up residence in your heart. He has you in the palm of his hands, and he said, no one can take you out of my hand. There's no reason to feel threatened by a different opinion, by an opposite opinion. There's no reason. Let us extend grace and friendship to those who believe differently than us, who are not of the Christian faith. And third one here is let's be careful not to judge hypocritically. (coughs) Hypocritically. And Jesus speaks to this in this part of scripture in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You've got this giant two by four in your eye, but you look and you can see this piece of sawdust in your friend's eye. And so you go, hey, let me help you get that out. (laughs) Isn't it funny that we make peace with with our own plank? That we get, we have all kinds of excuses and reasons why we have the plank that we have. But when it comes to that little piece of sawdust in someone else's eye, we don't have a whole lot of grace for that. That's because the plank is kind of blinding us. We can't see. C.S. Lewis, wonderful writer, said, There is someone that I love, even though I don't approve of what he does. 
There is someone I accept, though some of his thoughts and actions revolt me. There is someone I forgive, though he hurts the people I love most. That person is me. I'll forgive me. I'll make room for my plank, but that piece of sawdust, and that's, Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy of it all. We forget how big our own faults, our own sins are, and the tiniest of things bother us and other people. We really have to be careful about adding to God's opinion. If God has an opinion about something. We have to be careful that we don't add to that. We have to be very careful, and that plank in our eye will, you know, it will lead us to do that. What's the result if we uh, live hypocritically? Look at Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What's the results of living like that? Well, they're going to treat you just like you treat them. If you are hypersensitive and judgmental to a person, you get it right back to you. And what happens if you have a moral failure? They jump on you. They go after you. We've seen this time and time again. So you get back what you gave them. If you gave them grace and understanding, you get that back. Not always. Because sometimes Christians have to just suffer, don't we? We have to put up with it. But let's don't run around being a martyr for Jesus when we treated people really crappy. I mean, you know, look, I'm being persecuted when you're... You know, you're taking your boss's time up preaching fire and brimstone to someone on the job. And then when you get fired, you think you were persecuted. No, you were lazy. You got fired because you were a poor employee. And Jesus is the excuse. We have to be very careful about those things. And uh, God also, as Jesus says in this verse looks down at us and says, oh, is that the way you want to treat others? Is that the way you want to be treated by me? Is that it? We're paid back in the currency that we spend. Do you get that? Whatever currency we spend in other people's lives and how we treat them, that's the same thing we get paid back in. And there's a stiff penalty for doing what Jesus forbids us to do. So how do we judge? What's the proper way? We've heard how to do it the wrong way. How do we do it in a healthy way? Well, let's read about proper judging. Matthew 7 and 3 through 5 again. Just just keep nailing this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's, notice this recurring word, eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your I, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Exercising judgment is like eye surgery. What is that, six times in three verses, the word eye? Have you ever had your eye operated on? Have you ever had anybody mess with your eye? My eyes are messed up from the sun and the wind, I have to, under a doctor's care, they, like the whites of my eyes are sunburnt. And uh, I was arrested one time for my eyes. 
It's my claim to fame at 16 years of old, 16 years of age, standing on the corner in Riceville Beach, North Carolina with two other friends and eating a Twinkie and some milk. A policeman pulls up in front, looks at my eyes and arrests me because my eyes were so red and takes me to jail and I call, I threaten a lawyer, he lets me go and he tells me to never come back to Riceville Beach again. That's my claim to fame. I have been ran out of Riceville Beach, North Carolina (laughs) and told never to return. But my dad has this disease in his eyes and he gets a shot. The needle's about that long right in his eye and I take him to get these. Yeah, people are just looking. The first service did the same thing. And I'm watching that thing as it just, just going in. But it... A few years ago, my eyelid got infected, and uh, it, had a, it began to uh, swell. And so I went in to see Dr. Royals, and, and she sat me down in the chair, and she says, I think we're going to have to take a scalpel, and I'm going to have to slit your eyelid. And I was, great, all right. But before she did that, she numbed that area up. She used a very light touch. She prepared me. And she did all she could to keep me from hurting too much when that eye surgery occurred. You get this? Judging people, confronting people, dealing with people, Jesus says it's like eye surgery. It can be very painful. It can hurt. And so we should be very careful and very compassionate when we do judge people. And your fill-in there is we ought to judge ourselves first. Yourself first. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I mean, what if Dr. Royals had come, she had walked into that room, and, and I've got one eyelid that's just a little bit puffy, and she walked in, and both her eyelids were this big around. And she had that scalpel. Well, let's see what we can do, Tim. And I'm like, oh, man, maybe you ought to judge yourself first, Doc. Maybe you ought to take a look in the mirror first before you start cutting on me. Just take a look. Luke 11:34 says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. Let's take a look at our own eye first before we step into someone else's space and confront them. Take a look. And lastly, let's do it carefully. Carefully. I was uh, grilling out here about a couple of months ago, and I, as you can see, I talk with my hands. I've always done that. And I was outside. I walked into our kitchen, and we have a little fan, which is usually not on, but it was on that day in a little breakfast area and Karen was preparing something else and I walked in and started talking to her and I threw my hand up in the air, getting expressive, and that fan came around and bap, 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 hit across my hand. You know, your hand can take a lot of abuse, but your eye can't. She packed ice on my hand and I thought I was going to have to go to the hospital. I thought I'd broken my knuckles and on. And within three hours, it was fine. Your hand, your foot... But your eye? Jesus used the eye on purpose because it's a very sensitive place and we need to be careful when we step in 
to other people's lives and begin to do eye surgery on them. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him how? Gently. Gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. It's a great myth to say that Jesus said to never draw conclusions and never judge anyone. That's not truth. Truth is we are called to within the church, within our families, within our friendships, to look at one another. And as the Lord helps us help one another grow, we are to confront one another, but we are to do it gently, as if it's eye surgery. It's a privilege to be a part of a faith community where you can have people who love you enough to come to you and talk to you if they see something wrong in your life. That's a great privilege. It's a privilege to be part of a church that takes church discipline seriously because they care for your soul. But outside of the church and in this political climate that we're in now, I think we could afford to have a few peacemakers in our midst. And if Jesus has brought anything to his church, he brings peace. And if we need anything, we need peace. So let's remember that. Let's remember when we confront one another when we're with our non-Christian friends. Let's think about the plank that could be in our own eye. Let's think about the lens through which we read our scriptures, we get our convictions from. There are all kind of gray areas where you are free to have a personal conviction about that I may not have it or I may have one in an area that you don't have. But let's don't take those gray areas and make them a part of doctrine and make them a part of everyone's life. Let's do the hard work of digging and finding out what is it that God says clearly. Because I think we've got enough to do there. I think we have enough work to do in our lives with the things that are very clear from Christ and from his word. We need to be wise and sharing. God, help us to be men and women, parents, young people, church leaders that are clear with moral and spiritual conviction but show great compassion and sensitivity to others. God, help us to be a church. Help the vineyard to be like that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, forgive us where we have failed to exercise compassionate judgment, especially on those outside of the faith. Forgive us where we have made their behavior more important than the necessity of their soul to know you. Lord, show us the cross again and place us in that place where your son hung from that and looked out at those abusers of his and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Help us to be a good representation of your faith, but also your grace and your mercy, God. Help us to be moral people the way the scripture describes that we should be. Help us to help one another, Lord, and allow us to be confronted 
when we miss the mark and we need a brother or a sister or someone to come to us and help us get back walking straight again. And Lord, we thank you for the example of Jesus, that he never minced words, but he was always full of compassion and grace and mercy. We want to be those people too, Lord. That's our desire. Just want to take just a minute here. We guys keep praying. I feel like I want us to pray for maybe there's some non-Christians that you know that you care for greatly. And uh, maybe you've overstepped and gotten angry and preached at them and put things on them that hasn't been helpful in them coming to know this Jesus that we know. I, I just want you to take that to the Lord maybe right now and just hand it to him and say, Jesus, forgive me for that. I, I really do love my friend. I love, I love them and I want them to know you like I know you. But help me, God. Help me to be a compassionate and grace-filled person so that they can see Jesus, so they can see you, Lord. Just do that. You can mention your friend's name. Just mention them to Jesus and say, Jesus, you love them. Help me. Help me, Lord. Or maybe also you've been a person who has been wishy-washy in your moral convictions and, and all of this talk like this morning has put you in a place where you're not even sure what is right and what is wrong anymore and you need to know for the sake of your family, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your friends, you need to know that the Lord is saying, this is the way to walk in it. Walk this way. Follow me. Then ask him for that. Say, Lord, grant me clarity to know those essential things so that I can walk in them. Help me, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you put into our hearts to move us to obey your word. And we say, Lord, lead on. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and were perhaps even challenged in some way to continue pursuing a closer relationship with God through Jesus. Here at Seacoast Vineyard Church, our vision is to worship God with passion, to reach out in Jesus' name with compassion, and to mature as a people of power and purpose. For more information, including our location and gathering times, visit www.seacoastvineyard.com.